When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Root Metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Hi, welcome to another episode of Film Study. I'm Ken McCusick. Joining me today, Alec Pulianis. Alec, how are you doing? Doing well, Ken. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, great to have you on again. we got a fun topic to discuss today. It's exciting a lot of Ravens fans. The acquisition yesterday of Calais Campbell from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I was pretty thrilled when I saw a fifth-round pick for uh, a player of that caliber. Um, just a classic Eric DaCosta move. Very exciting. Yeah, exciting move. I, I, you know... In a lot of ways, this pick is very, or this acquisition is very similar to the way the Ravens cut 
Anquan Bolden in 2013. People remember back and they say, well, we traded Anquan Bolden for a sixth round pick. Well, no, that's not exactly correct. They cut Anquan Bolden because they mm-hmm. really couldn't fit him under the salary cap. And they got a sixth round pick as salvage value in the exchange. And you're dealing, obviously, with a motivated seller. You can kind of uh, put their, put them in the vice a little bit. And, you know, the Ravens obviously have to pay a $15 million salary. And they actually might have to pay more than that over the course of two years to sign Campbell. And I haven't heard any finalization of that deal yet today. We're recording this at noon. Has there been any, Alec? Not that I've seen either. I see numbers around uh, $25 million over the two years, which sounds about mm-hmm. right. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, no finalized things. Heard the same thing, 25, 27 million, two years with an option perhaps for a third year. But uh, you know, he's 34 years old ending this season, so that's a that's a kind of interesting point. But salvage value only, that's all the, uh, the Jaguars got out of uh, trading him. And when you look at this, Ravens fans should probably understand there's a similar uh, situation with any tag and trade of a player like Matthew Judon. There's a salvage value the Ravens can expect to get it, but if they expect to get a, you know, a first round pick or something silly like that, they're not going to get that. They might get a a third round pick and they might get a second round pick if it's very low in the round, but but it's not a you know, they're not going to get a first round pick or something with Judon. For Judon. Yeah, agreed. And I'm glad you brought up the Bolden trade. We're now feeling the other side of that equation. I was thinking about the same thing yesterday. Yeah, it's nice, nice to uh, nice to be in the quote unquote winning position here, the uh, the scavengers position instead of the scavenged. Absolutely. Uh, all right, well, uh, let's talk a little bit about this uh, trade a little bit depth, more depth. Kelly Campbell, uh, Clay Campbell, the uh, pick originally acquired for Kari Vedvik, and that that has already had a storied path because it was rumored to be the selection. It was traded for Marcus Peters along with Kenny Young uh, back in, I guess it was November, October, sorry, I should say. But uh, but that was not the case. They actually traded their own pick, which was worse uh, in the Peters trade, meaning a lower lower pick that they uh, they traded to the Rams. And now they, they're trading the Minnesota pick here. Yep. So that storied pick still ended up getting us a pro bowler. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I was kind of hoping it would draft, but but it'd be even cooler now, especially. <laughs> right. Well, I, I don't I don't really want another AFC Pro Bowler selected in the fifth round, you know, out of this pick. But it would be kind of cool if if uh, Jacksonville also got a starter because it's, that pick can just keep on giving <laughs> for various right. teams if they uh, if they acquire it. Uh, you know, this is uh, they're, they're ne- the Ravens next to last selection in this draft. So they have seven picks before 170, including all those those five picks in the third and fourth round. And then they only have one pick after it in the uh, in the seventh round. So, uh, you know, it's not the most significant pick to the Ravens. It did represent uh, perhaps, let me think about this, about 3% of their total draft capital this year. That's not too bad. Yeah, I like those numbers that you provide. It really gives you context of the value of each pick. Yeah, it's just from the JJ charts. There's nothing complicated about it. If you want to go look for that, by the way, look at Draft Tech and their draft value chart. It's very helpful mm-hmm. for looking at trades and trying to understand that and, and looking at how much capital a team has in terms of their ability to, to, to make trades during, uh, during on draft day or before. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Campbell, the, the Ravens get one of the best interior pass rushers in the game, at least he has been for the last three seasons, still develops a lot of pressure, although it has not gen- uh, resulted in as many sacks. 
And that said, he's still got 31 and a half sacks and 77 quarterback hits total in the last three seasons. Yeah, and I think the important thing to realize is even though his sack numbers have been on a downward slope, just last year he ranked fourth in pass rush win rate when double teamed. So uh, that's not bad, right? He's in the likes of Aaron Darnold, Grandy Jarrett, and Chris Jones. Yeah, that's that's thoroughly outstanding. And you know his pass rush win rate was very high, uh, period. And pass rush win rate, you're using the the nuts and next gen stat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, then his, his pass rush run weight was very high uh, in general uh, for an interior lineman. But uh, one of the things that the double team number tells me is that he's going to be an outstanding guy to work as an underneath player on stunts. And I am so excited to see that in terms of being a guy who can cross the face of one lineman into a gap, draw two sets of shoulders pointing towards him. And then we're going to see, I think, Great value from whoever is stunning around that, and particularly mm-hmm. if, if they're using four outside linebackers on the field. But not only that, when one of those players has to release from one side, can't think of a better player to work off of that half block advantage to then really disrupt the pocket. He's he's made to be the underneath guy on stunts. This is what we call a difference maker, Ken, right? This guy is not just going to produce from his stats. He's going to elevate the play of people around him, and that's what gets me most excited. You have to salivate if you look at the projected starting roster of that defense. They were already effective last year with a less than stellar pass rush that was mostly generated through uh, blitz packages. If they're able to get an organic pass rush and have that kind of uh, backfield, it's going to be very, very fun to watch. Yeah, it, it, it certainly will be. I mean, they look for free runners, and he's, he, he generates lanes for free runners very effectively, and that, that'll be, a, I think, a main component of what they do. In fact, I'm not even sure that you, go, you make a lot of changes to your way of generating pass rush right now. It's almost like they can put Calais Campbell over the nose in the race car package, meaning they have four outside linebackers on the field, and they'll have Calais Campbell. They'll use a dime package behind that probably with no inside linebacker, would be the primary pass rush package they would use. I think that would be extremely effective. And you know what? The need to get an inside linebacker in that first round of the draft, the need to get a guy who can rush the passer from inside linebacker, I'm not saying it's zero. I would love to have one. It would just be an extra little goodie to have. But it doesn't need to be the Ravens' first-round pick. It's I, you know Of all the advantages, all the reasons to, to draft an inside linebacker in the first round, they no longer need that specifically as a, as a way to promote incremental pass rush, and they they didn't need it before in order to be the defensive signal caller. So they are because they had their guys uh, there already. So I think it solidifies more the Ravens' ability to use diamond quarter packages at, at will. Yeah, agreed. And I've never been particularly keen on the Ravens using that pick on an inside linebacker. Kind of going back to our previous conversations. So I think the biggest thing we'll see now is if that will impact uh, trading back. I know that's not the purpose of this show, but I feel like 28 is a no man's land. So it'll be a very interesting to see what they do with that pick now that their priorities have shifted. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's very important at 28 because I think you'd be stretching for an inside linebacker, at least the inside linebackers, I believe, that will be available at that point. Um, you know, some have Kenneth Murray and uh, Patrick Queen going in the top 22 picks. I've seen a lot of mock mock drafts which have the Raiders drafting him and and uh, other teams as, as uh, you know at 22 and whatnot there'll be a lot of trading that changes that by the way one of the things about mock yeah. drafts is because you want people to read them 
every every team gets to keep their own pick and they don't trade down. Okay, but in truth, there's a lot of movement in the first round, and so there will be teams that will move up. And you know, it's natural that the that the Ravens might want to be involved in that. And and the likely direction is down because it is so expensive to move up in that first round. Yeah, and I I I don't even really read those anymore for that reason. Mm-hmm. I guess it gives you some idea, but. I, I've kind of gotten out of that just because you can't predict all the trades and uh, and also like a lot of times they're need based picks and sometimes players get picked just because they're the best player available. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you know the other thing that they don't always seem to get right is that the early picks, particularly in the top five anyway, they seem to be so predominantly quarterback. You know. They're waiting. A lot of a lot of mocks seem to have the the Dolphins waiting to number five and getting Tua and that sort of thing. But you know, I, I think I would be not shocked. That's not the right word because Chase Young's an outstanding player. But I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't be surprised if Tua went no later than three in this draft, just because there is competition for his services, and I think there'll be attempts to move up to get him. Mm, good point. All right. Well, so with Calais, let's get back to him a little bit. One of the amazing things looking through his record is just how durable he's been. I mean, the guy has, first of all, he's had arguably the best four years of his career in the last four years from 30 to 33 years old. And he'll turn 34 on September 1st. So this is a, it's a, he is an odd cat indeed, even on the defensive line where players can be a little older to play so well at late this long, this far into his career. Yeah, I noticed that stat, too, and that was really exciting. And I also just want to bring up the fact that he seems like an awesome person off the field with the Walter yeah. Payton Awards. I love having those kind of players on the team. That, it, I mean, it's a good environment. I, I would agree, and I think that he – he I assume he could be a natural leader on that. Sometimes a Walter Payton winner can be a quiet guy, very dedicated to God, very dedicated to whatever that, that may lead off the field naturally and not be as natural an inside clubhouse leader. But my guess is that he's probably a fairly natural uh, clubhouse leader as well. And the Ravens, I think, could use that. I mean, they're, they're a team that, that always could use one additional player to do that. And they have a lot of very talented players, but not as many vocal players. Earl Thomas did not turn out to be that guy. You know, individually, and and Brandon Williams, you know, is the senior guy on the defense now, but he's he's not turned out to be that way. So, you know, finding that guy uh, would be helpful, and particularly with Yanda leaving, uh, he was a quiet guy, but but took on some of this leadership, you know, role at the at the huddle at the huddle before the game. Uh, you know, they need another guy. Yeah, you're definitely right. I want to go and take a look at the fact of his snap counts too over the last couple of years. Lead in. Uh, yeah, so he's been playing 80% of snaps through the last five seasons. And mm-hmm. if you look at the Ravens, and maybe it's our personnel, but they don't typically do that with any no, player. That's true. I, I, I have some stats on that that I assembled for the for this pod. So we they've, they've had just eight guys individually who've played 70% of the snaps since the team moved to the 3-4 in 2002. I'm just going to go through this here because it's – it's Haloti Nada four times who played 75.7, 77.2, 78.7, which is kind of the typical year for Calais Campbell. We'll get to that in a second. And 72%. And those, those are all between 2007 and 2012. Before him, Weaver, 70.7 in 2002. Marquise Douglas, there's a name that a lot of people have forgotten, 78.4% mm-hmm. in 2004. Kelly Gregg, 75.5% in 2005. That's Kelly Gregg's only year over 70%. 
and Trevor Price, 78.7% in 2006. So they haven't had anybody play the 80% of snaps. And he did he did reach that at least once, maybe twice during this five-year period, but he's played between 77 and 80% in each of the last five seasons, which is, first of all, remarkably consistent to be within that small of a band, and second of all, a, a testament to what the guy can do on the field, that he never gets taken off. Yeah, he's a very versatile player, can play in a lot of different techniques, and yeah, it's thrilling. So... I think we both agree. We expect him to have a reduced snap count, which may or may not actually improve his effectiveness. He has you know, less less reps that he has to worry about. I, I would think it would improve his effectiveness. Martindale is a legendary snap count manager. More than that, the Ravens these last two years have been snap count winners. So they've they've played they've run a lot more offensive snaps than they, they do. They only average, I think it was 57 snaps per defensively per game. It's 17 games last year. They didn't even hit 1,000 snaps for the year. And a lot of other kind of weaker defensive teams are over 1,100 snaps for a full season of 16 games. So you can see there's a big difference there between playing on the Ravens and not. And then if his, if his snap count is further paired to 65%, I, I think we would expect to see Campbell at least – not show the impact of age as much as he maybe has the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. I think also looking forward uh, to his veteran outlook as we try to bring in younger guys, I think that's definitely something to look forward to, that he can start amplifying the play of some of the younger pass rushers we have on the team and teaching them. Not everyone's gifted with his six foot eight frame and you know long arms, but he can still, you know, part some of that wisdom yeah i agree and that's you know it's certainly something from a leverage technique and using length there isn't anybody better than calais campbell i mean he's just he's outstanding at understanding how to use that gift particularly well and that seems to apply to ferguson more than anyone because ferguson is a is what i would you know term basically as a two-handed bull rusher one of the basic precepts of of defensive line play in particular is that you're longer with one arm than you are with two and so you kind of want to turn your body to pull one side of, of, a, uh, of a defender, if you can, and derive an advantage that way. And, and that's something that, that Ferguson should be doing, but because of his length and because of his power at the college game, he never had to learn it as well. So he's got maybe some bad habits still um, mm-hmm. residing from that. And I, and I hope he's, he seriously can learn that. Now, Campbell, I'm not sure, is the guy, although he's he has some – ability to use his hands otherwise he mostly relies on his length but if he could if he could learn also from Pernell McPhee who may or may not be a Raven this coming year obviously about the violence of a hand play that would really be nice as well yeah I'm looking forward to discussing uh, McPhee later on in the show okay sure okay we'll talk about the ripples (laughs) from this signing obviously yeah that'd be great um uh, mentioned uh, being a being the underneath player on stunts. Want to make sure we get this. Uh, I think one of the nice things that's going to happen is if he is lined up as a five tech, typically, which I think is is a, a pretty good possibility. He may also be a three tech, but if he's lined up as a five tech on the majority of rundowns, that he could help take off some take some some of the pressure off of the Ravens' edge defenders. Uh, if you have a dominant penetrating player at either of those positions, you create problems there that 
takes the pressure off edge defenders to be fantastic two-gap players on the edge. So you get you, you develop a bubble there. You get the guy to the outside. That edge defender doesn't have to be quite as good in terms of maintaining that, that two-gap stance. Right on. And I think that's something we saw last year we, we struggled with. So yeah. th- this is a, an amazing fit. Amazing fit. That's, a, I think, one of the biggest takeaways of this signing is that it was the right player at the right price and the fit of his skill set really does complement the things we were weak, weaken and help elevate the play of uh, the players around him. Yeah, I, I agree. And in terms of the, the draft capital expended, I'm, I'm stingy with draft capital. Uh, this was 3, 3%, maybe it was almost 4% of what the Ravens have in terms of draft capital. And it's actually, no, I'm, I'm wrong about that. It's 20, it's like 22 out of 1275. It's more like 2%. Sorry about that. So if at two percent of their total draft capital, I can't find a I can't find a problem with it because the Ravens, beyond you know spending that, they're also you know are in have a window right now where they have a good chance to win. And taking a player in the draft, even though it might produce more value in the long term, wouldn't necessarily align with winning a championship. And I just I I love the move, absolutely yeah. love the move. Yeah, we're definitely uh, getting ready for what should be a nice run here. The question is, um, are they building the team in a sustainable manner that it doesn't completely bankrupt us later? And um, I think they are. I think this is the right kind of move for the run that we're about to to go on. Yeah, fa- fairly. You know, there there are elements of this that I think you're really talking about two years now with with Calais mm-hmm. Campbell. I think they're they're going to be fine for that period of time, and they may they may have to do some borrowing in the second year if if they sign Jackson to a long term deal. But it's it's a effectively they're going to be in in pretty good shape. I do worry about it a little bit when the other players in Jackson's draft class come up for their extensions, that money might be a little bit short. I'm not actually worried that they're going to be able to sign Stanley Jackson and Humphrey. But when it comes down to, um, you know, Orlando Brown is going to Mm -hmm. be a, a, a free agent. Mark Andrews is going to be a free agent at the same time. Some other players, you know, that the Ravens are going to have to figure out how do they, how do they retain them? Who do they retain? Uh, you know, Hurst is the same player. Hurst does have a fifth-year option that they probably won't exercise. So, you know, some difficulty in deciding who they're who they're going to keep. Yeah, this is a good problem to have. Obviously, the embarrassment of riches we have in the race and drafts and our young talent, and it's going to be allow us to go on this the short run. But yeah, it it is concerning. I do look ahead because I I enjoy being competitive every year. Now, granted, I think the glory of winning a Super Bowl is worth it. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. right? So, that you definitely want to do that, but. Looking long term, I do believe this is a, an acquisition that's not going to ruin us, um, and we will be able to keep those cornerstone players. I think the problem is that we there might be nothing we can do to keep the amount of cornerstone players we'll have coming up in the next couple of years. So right. it's just minimizing damage. That's right. That's that's right. And and you you know if you're a Ravens fan, I, I, I want to echo what Alec just said thoroughly. You've got two basic routes. The great drafting teams, they lose a lot of great players to free agency. It is a natural byproduct of it. Don't be upset about it. At least, you know, it's it's sad to lose the jersey of the one first round mm-hmm. pick you liked right. or the third round pick you liked in some cases. But but the but the point of fact is it's it's much better to lose that guy and get a comp- compensatory pick for him than to be the team that has to go out to the free agent market and sign that guy and effectively give away a comp pick mm-hmm. in order to do that. I mean you have to be successful drafting. And when you're very successful, the result will be, you're going to lose some of these guys. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great ride with, uh, with the last year of Ozzy and the first couple of DaCosta, 
so far in terms of uh, first one of DaCosta. This is the second coming up mm-hmm. uh, in terms yeah. of uh, draft selections. This is brilliant. And I want to echo one more, fe- uh, one more feature of that is that him and Peters were both trades. So they actually mm-hmm. don't affect us in the compensatory uh, process. Yes. Not a brilliant move. So everyone was expecting us to sign a defensive end or some kind of interior pass rusher. And now we don't have to do that because we took care of it in a trade. And that is awesome. That yes. is a huge relief to us in the compensatory program. I mean, it, it basically doubles the effectiveness of the uh, move. Yeah, you, you think about this. They traded a fifth-round pick to get uh, to get uh, Campbell here, but they probably just protected a fourth-round pick that they will get Mm-hmm. for losing Michael Pierce. So effectively, that's a, you know, you can look at it as they traded Michael Pierce for, for, uh, for him too, because I don't think they're going to be able to sign, sign Pierce at this point. But if he'll go to the market, the only way he would come back to the Ravens if he's really undervalued by the rest of the market. I did see a three years, $15 million number from somebody. I forget where it was. But if, if that's truly Pierce's, it might have been over the cap, or sport track, one of those two. If that's truly what the market believes uh, uh, Pierce is worth, then I think he might be a Raven again, but if he mm-hmm. but if he if he uh, goes to the market as I expect and gets you know nine ten million dollars a year, uh, then he's you know he's going to be gone. He'll be he'll be a fourth round compensatory selection probably that the Ravens will get for him, and now it that that compensatory selection appears to be safe, given uh, the Ravens don't have another big signing likely on the open market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point. I did want to say one thing about about penalties for Calais Campbell because there's a, there's a lot to love about the way he plays and and, and you know just, I encourage people go out watch film he's a very dominant player uses length well he's he's tall he stays low all of that but there was one thing that was kind of worrying me is that he's had a lot of penalties in the last three years and he had eight penalties last year four of them were of the offside variety neutral zone infraction encroachment or offsides any of those three. And the four others were personal fouls, including two roughing the passers. Mm. Previous year, he had six penalties, and then the year before that, he had just one. Uh, It's definitely something the Ravens are going to have to make sure to reduce or or to to, to try and have him reduce um, in this coming year. I didn't realize that. That's a good observation. I'm curious how that compares to some of the players we had last year. Well, uh, we we can look at that if you like, but Judon... Uh, in particular, had uh, he had one, what was it, a horse collar tackle, but he didn't have any roughing the passer penalties despite over 30 quarterback hits. So mm-hmm. that was that was quite good. Matthew Judon for the year had, huh, I'm having trouble finding it here. There's Matt Judon, had three penalties for the year for 13 total yards. Horse collar tackle, illegal use of hands, and encroachment. Mm. So uh, not not bad in terms of what he had. Of course, those were all first downs. Now the encroachment wasn't obviously a first down, but it was. And uh, uh, you know that's not that's not a bad year for a guy who's developing as much pressure as he is. Um, anyway, yeah, I think that, given the nature of the rules and the kind of pressure that Campbell has been producing, it's not surprising he's gotten roughing the passer um, calls on him. But mm-hmm. like you said, you can look at a guy like Judon as a comparison and say, okay, it may be still above average. So that's right. my point. Well, the Ravens led the entire National Football League in roughing the passer penalties. They were up there in quarterback hits too, but uh, it was it was fairly good to me that Matt avoided 
uh, a significant number of those. By the way, who do, who do you think led the Ravens in penalties in 2019? I didn't. I did not know this. I, I should have already, but this is a lot. Oh, oh man, this is a. I don't know. I'm guessing it'd be someone with a high snap count. Um, hmm. Was it was it Ferguson? I, and it's not a terrible guess. Marlon Humphrey, 13 penalties. Okay. Okay. So I was wondering if you were talking just the defensive uh, line. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking Humphrey. Yeah. Okay. All right. So he had a lot of defensive <laughs> holding calls on Humphrey and a, and a fair number of defensive pass interference. So it ended up being. Eight penalties just allowed for a first down. You can get all that information on NFLG SIS, by the way, if you want to want to break down a penalties by player. It's uh, it's out there. It's one of the sources that I really use for a lot of stuff. Oh, great! I didn't know about that. All right. Uh, I think we've other ripple effects. Do we 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 get some of these things? I mean, obviously, one of the questions is, can they sign Judon long term, coming out of this deal? Candidly, I don't think it was the plan to begin with. And now that this has happened, I definitely don't think it's the plan. I think he's a one-year rental on this tag. And I hope that he is excited about the opportunity to play with us and is, I guess, like, not compliant is the right word, but doesn't cause any uh, clubhouse issues. Just because, honestly, I don't see how they sign him. I think they were hesitant to sign him in the first place. That's why we're in this position. And given the Campbell... Uh, pick. I think I think he's gone after this year. That's my opinion. Unless they continue to tag him. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. I mean, he could have another big year, and they might be tempted to tag him. Obviously, it'd be a big it'd be a big number next year. It'd be a big jump. But the the issue really is that with all of the players coming due, and with Jackson in particular coming due, there has to be a player who can't get paid. And I don't think that's going to be Stanley because the blindside value with Jackson and the trust they've developed is very high. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think it's Humphrey because of of really he is the centerpiece of the secondary as good as Peters is. Humphrey is is really the guy who's been able to move around and, and be very good wherever they've needed him. I, I just I really believe that Judon is probably the guy who's going to go. And that means they're going to have to find a Sam linebacker probably. Uh, either in this draft or next. This does give them, at least the franchise tag, gives them a window to wait a year to do it. Yeah, exactly. And these players take time to develop. I think that's why this does not impact the draft strategy at all. I think you're still trying to find these players to develop so they don't have to make a huge impact year one. That's a lot to ask of any rookie, particularly later round picks. So I think your draft strategy is the same. You use this year to hopefully win a Super Bowl and have these uh, excellent players around to maybe teach them, but... I don't think we can expect Judon to be signed long term, nor Pierce. And now I'm starting to worry about McPhee. I think he might be very much impacted by this move. Okay, well, that's a, that's an interesting one. We need to make sure we hit on McPhee here. A very versatile pass rusher. Makes a lot of sense for any kind of four outside linebacker package, or particularly if you're going to need to have some backups in there. I mean, obviously, yes. uh, you know, they've done other things. Let's, okay, let's talk about McPhee right now, then. The the, the it seems to me they're they're working hard to try and sign Jihad Ward, which makes a lot of sense to me given he's really the youngest guy there. He was 25, might have turned 26 since the season ended, but um, he, he's a young guy, and I didn't you know, doesn't really strike you as being uh, a, a young guy when somebody's bounced around the league like that, mm-hmm. and then you figure he, whatever his origin was. But being a second round draft pick originally, yeah, he's still 55 days short right now. May 11th, he'll turn 26. 
So that's a young guy, and there will be some interest in the free agent market on him given how he played for the Ravens. I don't expect him to draw a huge number, but you know, if the Ravens could get three years, nine million, three years, twelve million, anywhere in that range, I'd I'd be pretty happy with that on Jihad Ward. Oh yeah. Jihad Ward was one of my number one targets for them to re-sign this year, and I'm very excited to hear that they're in talks and seem like they're getting close to a deal. But with McPhee, I agree. I think he'd be great depth. I think it's just the salary cap cap number that I'm worried about how much money he'll command. Now, granted, last year he didn't, so I'm hoping you know that maintains, and he has the injury uh, now to be added onto that. So I really do hope he can stick around. I just think it's starting to get a little crowded in that area, particularly if you're trying to bring in some young guys as well to to grow and uh, foster that community. Yeah, that, that's really the issue is that there's more, there's a bigger shortage of roster spots than there is of uh, you know a, a glut of talent there. And that's unfortunately mm-hmm. not the position you want to be in. You know, yeah, you obviously would love to be able to let go, but you, you, that's where McPhee, I think, his job is in more danger. But I think if they, if they, and he played 240 or so snaps this last year, it was basically exactly what I expected him to play for the whole season. It's just he happened to play them all within seven weeks because, yeah. because the Ravens were just loading up on him. Uh, I, I don't think that's, by the way, I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation of him for another year. The city might play 250 snaps, 240 snaps, 15 snaps a game. Uh, but but the, the issue is that, that uh, you know, they may not have a roster spot to carry someone like that. And a very specific situational value uh, he would bring. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if the Ravens can afford to have the roster spot on that. They could definitely afford him in terms of the dollars. I, you know million and a half, two million and a half, whatever it might be that he that he's he might earn this year, I don't think it's gonna be a problem in terms of the dollars. Mm, very good point. All right. I Pierce, what's your what you're feeling about that in terms of any chance he's back or, or under what circumstances? I echo what you thought. I think if he comes back because the market just didn't value him the way that we expect he'll be valued, then I could see him coming back. You get into the same issue now with the the roster spot problem. But mm-hmm. he's a an impact player, so I think that's something you'll be willing to concede, particularly for this kind of short run uh, window that we're looking at. Not to say that we can't be successful three, four years from now, but definitely we're in the most prime position now. Right. And and I, I do think that if the guy who's who might be on the bubble because of the availability of Pierce would be somebody like Justin Ellis. So if they re-sign Justin Ellis, which I hear they're trying to do, and you know Justin Ellis is not a super young guy. He's maybe 29 right now look at that again to find out exactly where is, he is in his career but but if he is if he's uh if if i have that correct uh he is 29 um then you know, he could be a player you sign and you don't have a lot of guaranteed money associated with a deal and you still have the ability to cut him if you uh bring back pierce so that may in fact be the hold up in the negotiations is that people they may have agreed already that he's a league minimum guy or just slightly above but they want they want to have a portion of that guaranteed, so that if he's cut by the Ravens, he's not just sitting there twiddling his thumbs for three months like he did last year. Right. Good point. All right. Um, any other UFAs you think the Ravens might pursue on defense? I'm thinking no at this point. Um, yeah, I, I saw that question. I, I did look into it. I think there's a chance of a, a cheaper, more affordable inside linebacker starting position player. Uh, but I haven't really seen any on the market that I could quickly identify as that's the guy. That's the one what? I would want the Ravens to go after. 
My question is, why not Josh Bynes again after the year he just had? He was terrific. Agree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Josh Bynes is another one of my players where Jihad Ward, Josh Bynes, these are players that definitely wanted to bring back. And yeah, if you consider him a free agent signing, which I mean, he is right. Just mm-hmm. he's a returning player that that would also be my number one. He knows the system and he played really well. I mean, I was very pleased with his play. Yeah, I was, too. I think. The Ravens have a vested interest. It's not a big vested interest because he's probably only going to be a seventh-round comp pick, but they need to support the value that Bynes has on the market. So they need to make sure that he's signed for at least $2.5, 3000000 million a year. And I think that would be, you know, $2.5 million a year, two years, at Josh Bynes' age would be a, you know, a, a solid value, and it might be one where Bynes really wants to play in another Super Bowl. Um, Bynes are really, you know, he made the final tackle in Super Bowl forty-seven. Right for mm-hmm. to, to to win the game that had only happened once otherwise in Super Bowl history. Well, actually, kind of twice, but I'll, I'll get into this in just a little bit. The the, the tackle on Ginn ended that game and ended uh, most games end on an interception or they don't end up within one score. And obviously, we had a lot of Super Bowls that haven't ended up within one score, or they end up with the other team having the football. Any one of those three, but there have been mm-hmm. there's that Super Bowl and Super Bowl 34 where they had the tackle at the one yard line that uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, that. that that ended the game. And then there's one other, and this is this, it was a really weird one. But in Super Bowl seven, Billy Kilmer was sacked on fourth and 14 by Stanfield, I believe, with, of the uh, no name defense and uh, no name Dolphin defense, and that should not have ended the game. But when they turned the ball over to the Dolphins on do- on downs, they inadvertently started the clock. And mm. it may have been the rules of the time. It may not have been. But they, the Dolphins did not have to run another play, and they just left the field. So it, I think it was incorrectly done, but it also happened to be that way. Just a weird piece of football history. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. that I, I never really thought about it that way, but you're right. I think it does usually end in one of those three scenarios. Yeah, usually, usually, out of, game out of reach, interception, or the other team's kneeling at the clock. Those are the those are kind of the big three. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I, we talked about draft strategy a little bit earlier. How do you like the Ravens' position in terms of having a number of positions they could draft in the first round? That's the right position to be in. I, I try not to limit myself when you go into these drafts of what kind of player you need to leave with, just because the game is always changing and the uh, injuries that you can't account for. Um, obviously, you do want to plug holes, but it's uh, it's definitely beneficial to be able to take someone um, without worrying about need as much. So I think right now I could see them drafting in the first round for and, and meeting need to a certain degree. Any one of five positions I could see. I could see them drafting a wide receiver now. I, I really didn't see that as a position where they could do it. I'm going to make it six positions. Inside linebacker, I think, still could be the position of need if they get the guy who meets their value. I honestly don't think any of the top guys are worth drafting at 28, but maybe they drop and, and get to pick one up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or otherwise, they do what they always do, which is allow other teams to overvalue those players and, and not take one. Um, offensive line, I think, is still a position where they could they could pick up a player, and they with the retirement of Yonda, it's obviously become a significantly bigger need. Mm-hmm. And they they could get an impact lineman at number 28. I definitely agree with that. I'm saying that is a more likelihood, definitely. Um, right. Yeah, particularly just because that's a, a position that's typically, it's a sweet spot for them. They usually don't go much higher than the late 20s 
for like a, a guard, for instance. Right. That's that's true. They they, you know, obviously the we had a little draft party over our house. I've told the story a number of times. Mm-hmm. I'm going to risk it again in two, for the 2007 draft. And the Ravens were waiting on the Patriots to make their pick at number 28 so they could then draft at number 29. And the guy I really wanted was Joe Staley, who went to the 49ers at 28. Mm-hmm. The 49ers, of course, moved up, uh, drafted drafted Staley right in front of the right in front of the Ravens. And I can only tell you that really pretty much ended the party at that point because I was very upset about it. <laughs> and we were screaming about it for a few minutes, and then you know people took off and whatnot. But anyway, we <laughs> we uh, had what had some fun that that day. And they drafted Grubbs at twenty nine. wasn't a bad pick by any stretch. You know, it was a guy who was a productive player for five years for the Ravens. Exactly fit into the kind of mold we've been talking about about a guy you lose in free agency if you've been drafting too well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, great point. Uh, yeah, and uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, the Ravens had a great offensive line at the time. They couldn't pay everybody. They decided to pay Yonda, who was the right choice, and yep. uh, and let Grubbs walk. I, I still think there's three positions I haven't mentioned, though, where the Ravens could draft. Uh, outside linebacker, I think at ed- edge rusher, there's still a good possibility they use a pick there. I don't know if there's a Sam linebacker in this draft that the Ravens absolutely love. But they may have a Sam linebacker, particularly outside of the first round, that they love. If they do, then they're going to be pressured not to take a pure pass rusher in round one. Yeah. Yep. And that I could see very well see that being the case. I feel like round two is a really good spot for that. And you uh, you have that in the back of your mind when you're drafting in, in the first slot. All right. Now, would you be shocked if they took an interior defensive lineman anymore? I would, definitely wouldn't have been shocked before if they took an interior defensive lineman. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm still not sure I'd be shocked now if they took one, given the nature of the deal with Campbell, the mm-hmm. age of Brandon Peters. I'm uh, sorry, Brandon Williams, and you know the loss of Pierce. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, surprising at all. In fact, that would be a pick I'd support because, like I said when you have these shorter term players and the fact that, uh, you know, they're getting older, like you said, you still want to be able to bring them in and give them some years to develop very few defensive linemen come in year one and dominate. It usually takes a couple years, uh, even in the first round. So to get to their full potential. So I definitely think that's a reasonable pick. Reasonable pick indeed. And then I'll, I'll go with the, the last position, which I think is kind of a dark horse need, but it's not being mentioned as a need at all, and that's wrong, is the Ravens have a significant lack of a second back-end safety that they can really trust. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, I'm not completely sure that they that they trust Thomas to be the back-end safety he used to be, certainly as a single high guy. Just doesn't really seem to have the speed to cover the breadth of the defensive back. I think he still has some of that fear element that they do, but the fact that they used him all those times as a pass rusher in this last year kind of tells me that they're they're valuing him more there than they would on the back end, and it may be a case of they just their cornerbacks are good enough that they that they trust them to cover. But I, I am thinking that the Ravens have a really big need to draft a a, a pure back end safety, not another guy who's a who's a uh, a big hitter who who's really fits more of that strong safety mold. Completely agree, and I think that it, you get blinded sometimes by the starting roster and the starting lineup, but you have to look at the depth. And I do think that they're lacking that. And particularly if Brandon Carr walks, which it looks more likely by the minute, given the fact that uh, Clayus Campbell is now Raven. Um, yeah, he's 
not going to be an option back there most likely. So it's even worse than we thought it was a couple of days ago. Yeah, and that is car is another ripple impact of this of this Calais Campbell sign Calais Campbell signing. So look at that. I want to mm-hmm. want want it to be the French city, but it's Calais Campbell. Uh, he is he's definitely a, a potential victim of this uh, of this change because the Ravens are have got now a, a fairly tight cap position that they need to address, and they also want to go into the season with some cap room. By the way, by the way, last year if they had not done that, they would have they would have had to do some maneuvering to acquire Peters. And it, it would have been more hurtful in a kind of an unseen way in the way they'd they'd have borrowed from future cap to do it. Mm. Good point. All right, all right. I think we hit on most of the most of the ripple impacts. Anything else we're missing on there of uh, of other things impacted by this signing? Not really. I think it's hard to talk about Carr without talking about Jimmy Smith. I think he's a big question mark still about if he'll come back at what rate, et cetera. But I think that mostly covers it. Yeah, he's another player uh, like Vines, like Pierce, where the Ravens should be making an offer, I think, to keep him. And when I say that, making an offer that supports the market for him, uh, that, that Jimmy Smith can go out and say, hey, look, the Ravens offered me two years for $5 million per year. You guys got to at least beat that. So if Jimmy Smith can't find a market, I'd, I'd, I'd hate for the Ravens not to have, you know, at least offered a bid up that gets him back at a reasonable price here. My understanding from from hearing from immediate family was that Ryan Jensen was given an offer when he left the Ravens that was in the in the five years, 30 million dollar range oh. and and that he ended up getting four for 42 from Tampa. But you know, it was it was a good idea for the Ravens to make an offer of that sort to try and support his market valuation. And obviously, in the case of Ryan Jensen, the Ravens did very well out of the thing. They got a third round third round selection in return. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point to set the market at a rate that still makes sense for the Ravens, but mm-hmm. also helps out the player. That's good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Ozzy was always good at at asking players to go find the market for themselves. Uh, you know, after they'd been through some negotiations. So I think this is probably with Smith is another is another instance here. And it would not surprise me at all if the Ravens are outbid for Jimmy Smith. But if they are outbid, I want them to be outbid by a significant amount. I want them. I want, you know, if the Ravens are offering five, I want them to get seven and a half from somewhere else kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yep. All right. Well, Alec, let's uh, talk about where where the listeners can find your work. Well, thank you. I, it's been great talking to you. You can listen to us on Ravens Recap. Uh, we're on Twitter as well, Ravens underscore Recap. And uh, we've been posting throughout the offseason, not as high rated as you are, but we are planning on recording an episode about Calais Campbell as well, um, hopefully tonight. And actually, we have some uh, other exciting things we might be trying to do. We did a deep dive last week on all the comp picks the Ravens have ever picked. Uh, oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of names that we don't remember and a lot of names that you do remember and you get excited about. So. We're looking to expand on that content. We couldn't find that list anywhere. There's actually a website uh, on the Ravens website of all the pictures, <laughs> but they don't actually have their names. So we had to go draft by draft and find the comp picks and find who they selected. So it was a fun process that we went through. Yeah, you should be able to find them by going to the draft summaries on Pro Football Reference, I would think, and finding the people who are picked, say, after after 96 in the th- or after the first 32 picks in any round. Yep, exactly. That's how we ended up having to do it. But uh it was uh, a process. There wasn't just a list somewhere you could, uh, you know, copy. 
All right. Well, very cool. Very cool. And then they they had, I guess it's only been the last couple of years, the comp picks have been tradable. So they, they had to use them or lose them. Uh, well, we had to use them in past yeah, years. Right. And uh, t- tell, tell us more. So, so I'm sorry, Twitter handle again, one more time. Or you can find us at Ravens underscore recap. Okay. Outstanding. Alec, always appreciate having you on the show. For other people out there listening, if you have a topic you'd like to discuss with me, uh, we're, we're the film study short uh, episode type is for you. We'd love to have you on, particularly discuss a study you've done or an idea you have. Uh, just send me a, send me a note on Twitter. We'll talk about it. And and I've been pretty much universally uh, taking people on to do those kind of shows. Really like to hear what other people have to say. So thanks for joining us again. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.